Welcome to the Harvest House Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, you can find us at harvesthouse.live.
sons, Abraham, the one that the Holy Angel would meet that night to say, figure out what God is saying, go to the margin and look at it. That's your job. If you want to figure out what God is saying, read scriptures and try to filter it. Then you will find the right answer. It's that easy. Uh, in fact, you'll be surprised how easy it is. So when you read this, um, there's two deep levels that, that are going to be addressed. And we're going to look today at the second so remember we talked about how the Genesis is the beginning of the, the Genesis of the rabbis is they took the values, the descriptions, and they would turn it to allow what God was doing. But Genesis is so deep. So we're going to find the Genesis and we're going to talk about it. So um, the, the uh, area that I want to focus on today is the historical location and why that is important in this story. So John 4, 6, or 4, 1 through 6, excuse me, gives um, a backdrop that's really important. So it says here that Jesus um, had been baptizing people and he had shared with people where the boundary was. And he says, uh, I think it's verse 2, that he had to go through Samaria and he'd been baptizing. So he came to a Samaritan uh, city called Sychar near the plot of ground that Jacob had been building up. So Jacob's well was there and he was hired out by his friend to sit by the well and get some food. So far there's nothing that seems surprising, but shocking or really interesting about this. Um, but it's interesting when you begin to dive into what the story is telling, and maybe a better way to explain it is what the original hearers would have heard when they heard it. Because the best question to ask when you read this text is not, why did God do that? The best question to ask is, why did So in some translations, when you read this about that he had to go through Samaria, it actually shouldn't say he had to leave his friend there. It says that, but he must needs go through Samaria. That sounds like he like started to like needs go through. I don't know what that means. Uh, but that what it essentially is saying is there was something compelling him to go through Samaria. Because if you look at a map, and I'm not encouraging you to do so if you have a So when you read this in English, we don't have a record of this, right? So if, if this said, but Joel was headed to Bloomington, so he must need to go through Pennfield, you'd be like, what? That's how they would read it. Because they know where Dowry is, and they know where Samaria is, and they're like, but he needs to go through Samaria. This guy is not a homophobe. Right? Doesn't this guy have legal masculine pronouns? He could say that any minute. So the idea is, wait, it tells you where the cops are, where the chariots are that are going to pull you over for the ticket, right? 
relationship. So, you know, when you when you're looking at this, that's what how they would read it historically. And it's always like with how Jesus would do it. It always starts with how they would have read it before we get to us. Because when you guys read it, you're like, oh, that doesn't make sense. Like Jesus, this doesn't make sense. And he's like, this doesn't do anything. Does this work on you at all that you guys didn't care about this stuff that was terrible? Right? It doesn't do anything to you. But to them, it would have been like red flag, something's wrong here. So, interestingly enough, it says it talks about the, the location there. We know immediately that's not what it's talking about, that he had to go through there to get to where he's going. The second thing that it would have said is, wait a minute, why would he even want to go to Samaria? Because Samaria meant something very, very, very specific to the people who would have been reading this. Because keep in mind, this Samaritan place was a place that was absolutely not okay with Israel. So in the idea of this location, it immediately becomes uh, part of the conversation that is as important as the conversation he has with the woman himself. Location becomes as vital as what is explained to Israel. Where the conversation takes place becomes more or as important as the conversation itself. If as an example, in Israel today, somebody from a, 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 a land and somebody from Israel decided to be friends and they went golfing together. But if they decided to go golfing, what would be the most important thing? The fact that these two people went golfing and one of them shot three under par? Or the fact that two people from two specific locations did this thing? Deeply important. You're talking about enemies here. You're talking about not okay. And so that's what's happening. That's what they would have seen it to be, that Jesus went out of his way to go visit someone that was not okay. But as the longest conversation got to be, we forgot it. The biological answer was, it's the longest got to be dialogue of Jesus in all of that conversation. This tells us, strong gospel, that the location uh, become important. See if you see this, if what it's responsive at is to go back and look and see what other locations he got to be. So far, starting in John 1, John has talked about Galilee. John has talked about Bethany. John has talked about Cana. Remember, we read about the wedding feast in John 19. John has talked about Cana. John has talked about Lazarus. John has talked about Bethsaida. Just in all those things, that Jesus had been in all those places, that Jesus would go here and he would go there. Just in all those places, how long is it? Three hours? They're all here. They're all here. So it had been like saying, okay, uh, so I've been to Portland, and I've been to Indianapolis, and I've been to Knoxville, and I've been to Louisville, and I've been to Bloomington, and I've been to Spencer, and then I look at you and said, what do all those places have in common? They all have dialogue, right? It immediately makes sense to you. But then if I would have said all of that and said, and then, uh, then I'm going to be close, and I would have said, 
what stands out is the difference. Right? So that's what this would have done. So if we were, would have went, hey, Jesus was with all the tribes of Israel. The people of Israel and all the sons of Israel. right next to it, they so hate the Torah, that they actually, um, 
even though they were using reality to back up Jesus, they were like skeptics. Samaritans were the word for people who had access. We were looking back at Jacob and Jacob's family. Okay, So they were of the 12 tribes. They just were the people. If, if we got in on this and we messed up, we're like, well, yeah, I'm related to him, but we don't believe in God. Right? You've got those people. They're like, yeah, I am related to him, but, well, we don't believe in God. Right? Or the people that when you're telling somebody, you're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's my brother. They're like, really? Right? We've had that. We're like, oh, yeah, that's my cousin that lives over in Arizona. You know? That kind of thing. That's how this was, the Samaritans and the Israelites. In fact, Josephus, uh, the histori- the Israelite, uh, Hebrew historian, says that um, may I, he prays, may I never have to set my eyes upon another Samaritan on the way to my house. That's what he taught. Like, I don't even want to hear that. Okay? So, separate themselves before the Bodhisattva. Samaritans are built up in the temple, not in the city. So they had their own mountain because they, the Israelites wouldn't let them come back in. Interestingly enough, when Israel was, uh, was exiled to Babylon in captivity in 605, the Samaritans offered to help them move their Israel, the Israelites back to Babylon. They said, nope, you're not here. We're not accepting you as Israelites. So that set the tone in the second temple, which then they re- after the rebuilding of the temple, they had their own mountain, right? So what begins to then happen is there's this odd that's there. Now, interestingly enough, if you want to know uh, uh, some of the beauty of the Samaritan people, do you realize that the Samaritan people come from the lineage of Gideon? So like the whole story about Gideon where he's rescuing these uh, Moabites are there, do you realize the people that he's defending are who end up becoming the Samaritans? God's people. Remember God promised blessing, delivered them, all that stuff, blessed with power and power. So clearly these people were Israel. But all it takes is some people to become a little bit holy for a minute. And the envy gets sparked. There's something about That's what happened. So they they have this whole thing that happens. During the first century, the, the religion of the Samaritans was similar to the Jews. They practiced almost exactly like the Jews. In fact, they followed the first five books of the Torah, uh, the Pentateuch. They, um, they made their own temple, which when they decided to make their own temple, that only revealed one thing. <gasps> because there was one holy temple, and that was in Jerusalem. That was the temple for the Jews. So when they decided to make their own temple, it was like, all right, so whatever is planted, then we get back in. That that ship has sailed. <laughs> so that idea gets them bounced on about moving up to. But they almost practice identically to the Jews. In fact, some suggest the Samaritans and their religious observance were probably more traditional and ancient than the Babylonians. They were very observant. In fact, according to later on accounts, it tells us that they were watching for the Messiah just like the Israelites were. They all believed in Abraham. They all believed in Jacob, uh, in Jacob. 
these people were their siblings of sorts, and yet they were completely separate. We realize uh, I think this was last week, right? We thought that when the when the uh, Jesus baptism wave was like this open in the temple, and we realized when he moved to Hawaii, we came to our Savior and I had to go at him and say, "Oh, you must be thinking that I'm the actual God of the universe." Too much subjectivism. where Jacob's uh, well was. So at the time of uh, at the time of Jesus, when he would have been there, this would have been where Jacob's well was. Now, the interesting thing about Jacob's well is that Jacob's well was a holy, sacred site. It was a worship site. That's why the temple was built there, so that whoever needed to go to worship God. And in the other ancient cultures, the reason that it was this site is because this was where Joseph's bones had been buried. So if you remember the story, all of you Old Testament folks will remember that when they left Egypt, Joseph said, I don't want my bones to be buried in Egypt. So they carried the bones of Joseph with them into what became the promised land, the burial ground. Well, guess what? This place, Jacob's well, or what gave this place to Jacob was the bones of Joseph. Because they felt like 
that God is an abominable, that is where the abomination is. But the Samaritans, on the other hand, were known for such a graciousness. It was known as being a safe place to find you when you were coming out of where you were from. So if you are wrongfully accused of something, or your family, if you are lacking in a family, if you needed somewhere to go, a sanctuary city of sorts was Samaria. Because they felt like coming from the sacred space of Joseph, Joseph was kicked out with his family and had to find a place elsewhere they could offer the sacrifice. Does that sound like Jesus? I mean, doesn't that just sound like the love of God? So that's the background of this place. The other thing that's interesting is Jacob's well was there. So Jacob's well was there is really cool because what you find is that Jacob's well was this specific place, and it's still there to this day. In fact, it's now in, it's one of the most visited places in Palestine. Jacob's well is now inside of an encampment of Canaanites. It is a um, So they built a church around Jacob's well. So literally the altar is Jacob's well. Isn't that cool? And so Jacob's well is this holy sacred site where they would go and worship. And recent scholarship, and here's where this is going to tie back into the Genesis report today. So recent scholarship actually teaches that this sacred site was tended by women who were stewards serving the Samaritan priesthood. Say that again. Recent scholarship actually teaches that because this wasn't just a local watering hole, this wasn't Lord's Bar in Samaria. Okay? So the idea, God bless Lord's Bar. It is like Jacob's well. But, uh, but this wasn't just some place. It was a sacred site. It was a place of worship. So what you actually find is that the plumbing that was there, which is why I think the Genesis report actually wasn't just going there to get water, but it actually she was serving the priesthood there. Very possible. So that you think that if you say, well, that's just like, that's fine. You don't have to believe me. I'm just saying they're suggesting that they would have been tending this well for that reason. This is what the papacy suggests that Jesus came. Jesus would go to a place of the people who'd been kicked out of the in-group and disciple and teach and interact with another spiritual leader about the nature of community and tribe and what it means for your spiritual life to be tied to location and village groups. This would literally be like a, a Protestant pastor and a Catholic priest having a discussion about what it means to be a Catholic. I, I, won't push, I won't push it further than that. That's any further of it below 10 minutes, I'm just going to have a monk scream at me on Sunday. But either way, these are more than likely spiritual leaders that are having this discussion. Notice when we talked about it a few weeks ago, I said it, immediately you've got responding, oh, there's this poor woman and she's at the well and Jesus is squeezing the well out and she's been five times as poor as they. She's probably at the well now and she's got some money and some money bags. Right? That's where we go with it. Rather than the idea that this is a sacred site because it matters. Location matters. So, you see, she is 
is in the process of praying, and that's what she does with Jesus. She begins to claim that this place is holy ground because she recognizes that he is a pagan, that he's a Jewish rabbi, and she recognizes that, well, she's a spiritual leader in this realm, and he's a spiritual leader in this realm, and she immediately starts calling out her differences. And I, what I would suggest to you this morning is to read the story of Ichabod. If you have some woman who's living in such pain because of being a violent liberal foe, that she has to sweep her way uh, to the well to try to get a little bit of water, and then you think that she encounters a rabbi who starts arguing with him on theological terms. Does that sound like a woman who's living in pain?
then you have you have to make sure that you don't touch once you get out of the car and into the building because the level of holiness is still there. So like you can run in the grass outside, but kids aren't allowed to run inside because the level of holiness is still there, right? So ACDC uh, Highway to Hell is blasting in the minivan as we pull into the parking lot. So we got to shut that off because the holiness level has changed. But then there's then the other thing is like a stadium. And so then they're not allowed to run once they get to here, but they still should stay here. And then that once they're they're not the children aren't even allowed. God forbid they ever touch the floor of the high and holy places. Because I don't know why God kills children when they touch him. Like seriously? Like God will strike them down. Don't you be running up the steps there on the platform. Good God. So in the same, and I'm, I'm obviously giving a gross exaggeration, but that we do the exact same thing that they did. So what the idea is, the reason we have a church is because we need to have a, a focus where we can gather together for a specific purpose. But if coming here where God is and where we experience him doesn't bring us into a greater awareness of him out there, then fear is doing you no good. It's about giving us, because as human beings, we need specificity. We need to be able to focus on one thing. So God is in all things, but you have to start with saying he's one thing. God is in all things, but when you look at your child, it should remind you of the miracle of who God is. Why? Because you haven't touched part of that thing. And then it brings a greater appreciation of other things. So Israel is supposed to be that way. It is a holy land, but it wasn't a holy land to mean everybody else then is in unholy land. It was to show them that all land is holy. That's the point. So what Jesus was saying to her when they begin to debate back and forth about this mountain and that mountain is they were actually debating about what land is holy. And Jesus said, you don't understand. All land is holy. The whole creation is accepted by me. The way we feel about the presence of God in our culture is the way God feels about his presence in the universe. The whole earth is accepted by me. It's all holy. We are that's why God said we are his holy people because that place and from that bush is going to be holier than the place just before it. But it's it's kind of when we begin to have an awareness that God is everywhere. But Moses couldn't see that God was everywhere. So God had to start with showing Moses that God was somewhere before he could see God was everywhere. You have to see one bush burning before you can recognize that all bushes are burning. So what happens is Jesus looks at this woman and he says, uh, so Jesus looks, I got to get this thing set here while I read here. So Jesus reads, uh, says this to her. She stood up and asked in our place, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain. You say the place where you uh, worship uh, in Jerusalem. She says, that's correct. And he says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the father either on this mountain in Jerusalem or uh, where you worship. 
you worship what you do not know, we worship what we do not know. Well, salvation is the key to reality coming down here that you will worship worshipers will worship flesh in spirit and in truth. And what we think happened is deeper than all of us ever imagined. We think that Jesus just invited her to embrace the Christian faith. Well, here's a newsflash. Jesus never invited anybody to embrace the Christian faith because Jesus wasn't a Christian. wasn't a Christian. He wasn't here to convert people to Christianity. I don't even know, I don't know that you can convincingly prove that Jesus intended for Christianity to happen. It's just a reality, and I love the Christian faith. I, I, I obviously observe it, but I don't think he can, Jesus walked as an observant Jew. differently and he doesn't invite her to become what she is he invites her to recognize she's already worshiped and he's like he's worshiping he's inviting him to her to recognize that they're already all connected notice there's three ends that i think jesus is laying so there's three ends there i think first end is we worship in jerusalem in the temple and that's the only if you're a jew that's the only place you worship and oh by the way also if you're not a jew you're not allowed in it literally had a sign outside of the door of the, the temple where you would go into worship that said, if any man or woman would like to come that's not a Jew, let him know that he has invited a uh, some type of friend or guest. So it, that's like no trespassing in temple. Tons of people. So then the second end is Samaria. You worship in Samaria. Gives a third end. Do you know what the third end is? Yep. In spirit and truth. So what he's saying is, you're back here trying to either, isn't this the, the incredible, the incredible people of Eden to go beyond dualistic thinking? Dualistic thinking in Jerusalem or in Samaria? In this temple or in this temple? There's a third option. In spirit and truth. And he actually says that if it's in spirit and truth, the other doesn't matter. He doesn't ask her to change where she worships. I mean, if, if, if it's not that, then Jesus would have said, now talk to the, the heads of the temple and see if you think you can turn the religion around. Because she's converted. Judea and Samaria to them, and he did so by being with where they worshipped. 
arguing that the time had come for another time to create, but all together, the question wasn't between this temple or that temple. It was between true spirit and truth or not. The connection between Joseph and this one woman does not end there. You might recall that Joseph had received a special blessing from his father at the time of Jacob's death. The promise of Joseph that he received was that he would be a fruitful vine climbing over the wall, extending to everyone. We got Genesis 14, 22 if you don't believe me. So Joseph's promise from his father upon his father's death was that he'd be a fruitful vine who climbs over the wall and extends to everyone. They're sitting here having this conversation just saying, Jesus in John 15 says, I am the vine. Interestingly as well, when you read this idea of Jacob's promise and how Jacob is part of this scenario as well, it's also interesting to see that they were brought out of Egypt. In his conversation with this one woman, Jesus' promised vine and Jacob's promise to Joseph was in effect climbing over the wall of the possibility that he would be different and the Samaritans to unite these two parts of the kingdom through his first teaching and and, and doing so bringing them all under the tent of in-spirit and in-truth. What does this mean for us? Like Jesus, we start with the group, the framework, and the script we've been given. We start with what we know. Most people who go to a, uh, a certain church or uh, a type of religion do so because that's what their parents did or that's what their friends did or that's what their spouse did. Somehow there was some exposure to that, right? And so we want to start there. There's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But what we often have to find is we work then within the space boundaries of our mountain and our temple and our worship. But it would seem that growth always demands a strong hand in moving out. And that doesn't mean that I'm inviting everybody to all of a sudden ditch and now we have to become whatever else, Samaritan. But what it does mean is like Jesus, we have to recognize that it's not, God is not oppositional in nature. It's not your Catholic or your Protestant. God doesn't work like that. It's your spirit, in, your in-spirit and truth. Amen? And some of the most in-spirit and truth people I've ever met don't claim that they're in truth. I don't know how that works. I'm just comfortable with the fact that I don't have to know how it works. Simple theology. I just don't have to convert everybody. It's just that simple. Because you know when you're around somebody who's in truth and truth. You know when you're around somebody who's fasting and singleness and love and kindness and grace. You know what that feels like. And if we're looking at converting people, I've been around more Christians that need to be converted to kindness and to tenderness and to love and to grace than I have
so what happens is that we have to, we must need to, as the scripture says in Ephesians, notice me again. We got to get outside of our group. We got to get outside of those who are equal to us. We got to press ourselves to experience the encounter with God who is different than us and learn from him. Interestingly enough, if you believe it, the early church fathers said everyone is equal to God. such thing as Christian truth and unchristian truth. Jesus said, Christ said, I am truth. So the truth is God. Just that simple. There is no religion in truth. If it's truth, it's God's. And I don't care if it's something that, that the parents are developing or if they're learning in the medical industry. You going to tell me that somebody who's dedicated their life to studying counsel is not moving in the love of God? Because what happens is Jesus passively engaging in these conversations. What happens is the person that you meet there, what you give to them becomes spirit truth for them. And what they give to you becomes spirit truth for you. That's how it's supposed to work. When it stops being spirit truth is when we refuse to be led by the spirit wherever he wants to take us. that he's going to give her the drink thing and she's got to know it because she's a medical doctor. So what he actually says in there that lets us know she's about to be fine is, is in, in essence, you were born with a river already inside of you. So he's saying, you were born with a river. And the best thing to do is to allow that river to flow after that birth. And he also says the whole creation is yours. So if you saw out there like we saw over here, that's the whole creation being encountered. Last thing. So this is a woman named Sankofina. Okay? So for those of us um, uh, Christians, especially Protestant uh, faith, Christology, Christian faith, um, we probably are not familiar with this. Um, so as you read the story of the woman at the, uh, Samaritan woman at the well, what you find the Samaritan woman at the well is anonymous, right? You never get a name for her, and you don't really 
information about him after that. However, one of the early church fathers did because they had historical documentation that were after the woman at the well in Samaria, after that dialogue happened. So the woman at the well leaves, and if you remember, she goes into Samaria to begin her preaching, right? So many in Samaria heard and followed, right? We know that. We read that. That's there. Here's what we didn't realize. So the woman at the the well, the Samaritan woman, the church that she responds to is called St. Philemon. St. Philemon is an interesting lady because, uh, and I cannot tell you her story because she would believe me on this. Go home and Google St. Philemon because St. Philemon was one of the first apostles of the early church. So here's a woman that was out, not part of the acceptable club. Jesus says, no, 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 it's, it's not about where you worship. It's about who you're treating. She became so radically, um, uh, I guess in, in love with Jesus and uh, following after a very improved lifestyle that she ended up becoming a martyr. But she wasn't just a martyr. She actually killed Nero, which was the craziest, one of the craziest emperors of Rome, um, decided that he wanted to kill her. So he put a contract out on her and her children. But as we go back here, and maybe this is going to happen in St. Philemon's case, she preached again. So rather than running, she and her children went to Nero. They went to the palace, and they she um, convinced Nero, and, and they introduced themselves. And he said, are you crazy? See, at this point, Nero's preferred method of torture is to peel the skin off of officers of rank while they were still alive. And so, um, and if they lived, then he would pour salt over their whole body. And so, um, he was actually, most historians believe he was the most ruthless torturer in history. And so, uh, Nero was the one that burned down his own city. I mean, this guy was was corrupt, and so they called him the crazy emperor. So he, Nero, uh, he had, he introduces himself. He says, "You have a noble mind. I kill you. Why would you do this?" And so then he drops it, and he says, "Nero, you better not do this." So he starts. Um, I think the first thing, if I remember from the beginning, was that he brought he tied her to. Um, they took Mary and and Mary and Jesus over, and tied her in between her hands and her feet to a tree and opened the tree so that technically they they could see and look for her body. So that's the first thing that they tried to do. But the interesting thing happened. They kept the tree open and the priest didn't eat. So then they decided that they would um, cut off, um, excuse me, then they poked out her eye and threw her into a well to drown her. But at the end of 60 days, they pulled her back out. Not only was she alive, but her eyes were healed. So then they decided to cut off her hand. And um, uh, if I remember correctly, one of them had to do that immediately. So I told you, you wouldn't believe me. There's more, and you won't believe me. So go home again. They, at one point, her and her entire family drank poison. So this went on and on and on. The whole time she's still preaching the gospel. At one point, uh, Nero decides that the best way to, 
you're not in the presence of God yet, and you're, I can't tell what you're going to say. Maybe I can just introduce you her uh, uh, greeting. So he just, he offers this greeting to him, which is almost like a daughter to him, to talk to her, um, to appear to get at all of the stuff that would be wonderful for her. In the process of trying to appeal to his character theme, Nero's daughter gets pregnant. Nero's daughter converts. So this is just a man wanting to what? Isn't it interesting what a little history we're going to get? So this anonymous woman to what? Exists. So I would encourage you, uh, we can't teach anything from other history right now because it is absolutely phenomenal. But the last thing I would say is, Jesus always connects us to the other side, whatever the other side is. It is, there's something about the Nero connection that is what could go further than we've gone if we're willing to go there. And what we actually encounter is the real Jesus. Jesus is not just what Bernie Sanders believes. So, Father, we thank you, and we thank you so much for the wonderful, wonderful, wonderful opportunity that we have to walk with you. And and we thank you that we don't have to judge, we don't have to favor, we don't have to condemn, we don't have to do any of that stuff, but that we can just embrace all that you are in any way you need us to. And we ask you, Father, that you would help us that as we encounter people that are other than us, as we encounter people who maybe don't fit our mold, aren't part of our tribe, aren't part of our class, aren't part of our uh, group or our clique, that, Father, you would cause us to find spiritual truth in that community and that we would be led and compelled by something greater than ourselves and that in the same way that Bernie Sanders did, that, that you would give him that you would dedicate all we are to following and loving you and that you would cause us, you would cause us to feel as you walked away from this well in front of the Jesus and just said there's something that's different. Help us to see what it is you're trying to say, which is that God, you are always good. You are only good. You are always full of mercy and you are leading us into a greater life than we ever knew. Thank you for listening to this message from Harvest House Church. For more information, find us online at harvesthouse.live.